Chapter Forty Nine of Fruits of the Spirit. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Fatima da Silva. Fruits of the Spirit by Hamilton Wright Maybe. Chapter Forty Nine: An Easter Thought. The Light of Life. There is no record of the earliest appearance of the idea of immortality. It is older than the oldest history. For many centuries, men have known that death was an illusion somber, appalling, often heartbreaking, but nevertheless an illusion. Not the end of the drama, but the darkening of the stage while the scenes are shifted that another act may begin under a fairer sky in a happier country. In the far-off past, when men were looking at the world for the first time with conscious intelligence, they knew that those who went out of their homes did not go out of existence, but waited, dim and shadowy, on the boundaries of human life, or haunted invisibly the places they loved, or lingered, melancholy and hopeless, but still conscious, in worlds as shadowy as themselves. In the beautiful fancy of the Japanese, those who have vanished from the ways of life come back at times to their old homes, bringing a deep and tender peace with them. To them, as to the Chinese, the worship of ancestors means that the dead have not only not ceased to be, but have gone over to join the greater and freer spirits who live the larger and diviner life. The Greeks saw in every return of spring, when the tide of life came flooding back, the hint and sign of immortality, and treasured his great hope behind the veil of the mysteries into which only the initiated were admitted. Savage and highly developed races have shared alike in the revelation of immortality, and every race, according to its insight and culture, has given form and speech to this sublime idea. The belief in what the scientists call the persistence of force is apparently instinctive. Men do not conceive of an end of the power they feel within themselves until they have become cynical or introspective or critical in their attitude toward life. The pale figure which haunted the antique imagination dimmed the light but did not extinguish it. The living knew that those who had parted from them and whose ashes were piously guarded in memorial urns could still be reached and affected by the affection and devotion of the living. Antigone, the type of sisterly self-sacrifice faced death that she might give her brother's shade rest and ulysses talked in the underworld with the heroes who fell by his side on the plain of troy the morbid and saddened imagination of the middle ages saw death as a grim and repulsive skeleton the touch of whose icy hand meant the passing of earthly happiness the solitary journey of every man 
the awful loneliness of the descent into the grave, the judgment seat beyond. To the freer modern mind, in the fuller and richer modern life, death is no pale ghost summoning the living to leave the light and warmth of the sun and wander disconsolate along the boundaries of being, no grim and ghastly skeleton coming unbidden to the feast, and in the happiest hour summoning the trembling spirit to its last accounting. The dim shadow and the terrible destroyer have vanished, and in their place has come the great, benignant, mysterious figure of Mr. Watts' love and death. The passionate defense of love, wild with grief, cannot hold the door against the irresistible strength of the messenger. But in that great form, towering above the helpless defender, pressing upon the door with a purpose that cannot be stayed, there is no malice, no antagonism. There is a noble dignity as of one come from heaven, the minister of an authority to which all doors must open, and of a wisdom as tender as it is fathomless, by which the immortal spirits of men are forever guarded from harm. You may kill us, said an early Christian martyr, but you cannot harm us. There is often heart-rending sorrow in death, for it brings appalling loneliness with it, but there is peace, fulfillment, the joy of the perfect life. What men in the earliest stages dimly divined, and men of a larger culture hoped for and expressed in noble dreams, Christ brought to light. Death was as much of an illusion before as after his resurrection, but that which was vaguely felt or poetically conceived became in his triumph over the grave a historical fact which transformed a little group of weak, vacillating men who shared the moral blindness of their race into a company of heroes eager to bear witness in all places and ready to face death in all forms. They hoped and dreamed no more. They knew, and in the certainty of their knowledge, they spoke as those who had put their fingers into the places where the spear pierced and the nails were driven, who had heard the voice speaking that for three long days was silent, and had seen him walking, who was wrapped in grave clothes and laid in a sepulchre. In their early conscious life, men felt that they were not born to die, and that death was not an ending, but a changing of the course, because they were dimly conscious of the indestructible force within them. In every later age, men have been compelled to make the same great inference to satisfy reason and to appease the heart. For, if we are but the dust of the earth, become conscious for a time, life and the world are alike incomprehensible. In these later days, a deeper process of thought and a wider observation have affirmed that no force ceases to be and one has lived who died as all men die and was buried, and came out of the sepulchre not only with the light of life undimmed within him, but so visibly holy and immortal that they who were most familiar with him fell at his feet and worshipped him. The light has come, 
and the faint stars of early hope and dream have faded from the sky but mists and shadows still linger about the places where men toil and suffer and many who sit in the darkness of closed rooms and silent homes cannot at the moment see the brightness of the sky above them not until the first long hours of loneliness have passed will they open the windows and doors and look up at the heavens on every easter day there is a new group of mourners for there are newly made graves over the whole earth to those who cannot hear the notes of joy in the easter bells for memory of the recent sorrow these stones bring with them the christ comes not with reproach but with infinite patience and tenderness he knew not only the victory at the tomb but also the sadness of gethsemane he remembers that human hearts with all their weakness have also the power of deathless affection he knows that while to him the hope of immortality is a massive causeway glowing with light spanning the blackness of the river to us it is a crossing of stepping stones of which we see but one at a time as we pass down into the darkness and mystery of the stream which none save he has ever recrossed end of chapter forty nine